Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to welcome smartpeoplepodcast.com. To smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and Welcome. This is Smart People Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Stem. And I'm the other host, John Rojas. Today, guys, we are talking about, we are flipping consulting on its head. And don't, don't, please don't run before you get started. It's not your normal consulting. It's not what John used to do. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. You almost <laughs> had me running out the door, though. No, this is really incredible stuff. These guys, it's called Red. You should check it out. Redassociates.com is the company based in Copenhagen with an office in New York, but they do this interesting type of consulting where they actually use the way people think and act. It's not this boring stuff. It's social sciences. It's using social sciences. So for example, they have on staff anthropologists, sociologists, economists, journalists, designers, and they really look into human behavior. So they have their journalists attend places where their clients' products are being used. So, for example, if a vodka company hires them, they have journalists almost go undercover to watch how people are consuming this product, vodka in this case, to see how better to market it, to understand where it links in with your environment. It's just really cool stuff, a different, more human way of looking at the world, how to market things. It's pretty crazy. This week, we talked to Christian and Mikkel, who are both partners at Red Associates. 
And these guys are fantastic. I loved talking to them. They brought such a new perspective on consulting and it almost made me want to get back no, into... Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it didn't. But they do bring a breath of fresh air into consulting and looking at behavioral sciences and all that kind of stuff that you were mentioning earlier. It's an interesting perspective to have and to go into how effective is this marketing? How are these products used? So... I personally think it was an awesome interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. And they, they wrote a book called The Moment of Clarity, which is also fantastic. So if you guys want to check it out, make sure you head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com, click on the Amazon banner and use that if you're going to purchase their book. Why not help out the show while we bring you this uh, really cool content? Yep. Subscribe and comment if you like us. And we're going to turn it over to Christian and Mikel. Hope you enjoy. Thank you both for being on the show. Really excited to have you on. I wanted to dive right in because you guys work for Red Associates and you are a consulting firm. And what's funny is John comes from a consulting background and he worked for Deloitte for about 10 years. And consulting is a four-letter word in his book because he often saw a lack of innovation, creativity, leadership. But I know after reading your book and going through your site and talking with you guys, your consulting firm is extremely unique, and I was hoping you could explain why it is unique to our listeners. Well, um, what we do in, in our firm is we try to apply what we call human sciences to big business problems. And uh, what we mean by that is uh, soft sciences like anthropology, sociology, political science, philosophy, all those things that are kind of uh, sciences in understanding human behavior, how we really behave as people. And it's a very different way of collecting data and understanding uh, the world, analyzing and coming up with advice, which is really about going out in the real world, being with people, your customers, um, seeing, observing what they're doing, and trying to immerse yourself into their world. So, for example, if you are producing uh, running shoes, for example, uh, we would, uh, we would help that company uh, figure out what is running culture like and by running with people and emerging ourselves into that, that culture and try to dig out what's the world like seen from a, a person's perspective. What is that like uh, as opposed to from a spreadsheet's uh, perspective, you know. Yeah, and that's actually what I found really interesting because both of us, having worked in kind of these big firms in the past, everything lives in spreadsheets. Everything's numerical data, bits and bytes. And so can you explain to us where that analysis actually does provide benefit and also where it fails? In the book, we talk about three types of uh, uh, problem that, problems that a company can have or three levels of problems. And, and one level are problems that are pretty known. You, you, you've seen the problem before, and you, you may have an algorithm to solve it, and you know exactly what to do. For example, uh, we're not selling enough in our channels. Should we change you know, the, the way we, we go to market and so on? And then there is, so that's, we call that algorithmic problems. And for that, spreadsheets and uh, actually computers or any kind of simulation is great. If you then go a level up, you have uh, what we would call a hypothetical problems, which is you've seen the problem before and you have a hypothesis of what it is and therefore you can calculate your way back. Also there you can use spreadsheets. And then there's the third level that our book is really about that we call big unknowns, which are problems that you don't know what, what, what are they really. So, for example, there is in, a, in our book a good example of a 
director of a sports company that finds himself in a meeting, in a strategy meeting, and uh, they're talking about numbers and designs, and there's all the spreadsheets you can dream of. And he's just wondering, he's asking a question, which is, mm, I wonder if yoga is a sport. And it may sound like a really silly question, but <laughs> behind that question is, there's something big happening in sports with how people uh, use what people use sports for that, that is expressed by yoga. But it's also people, you know, mountain biking for 24 hours or extreme running or just people going for occasional run in, 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 in the park and then having a beer afterwards. And things that are very different from the model that we have in the sports industry, which is really the only reason to do sports is to perform better and win gold medals. And he was saying that question, is yoga sport? In, in that situation, it was a big unknown for him because he was having a sense or an anxiety, you could say, there's something fundamental that we're not getting right. And he was right because eight years after, it, 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 you could see from the numbers that, for example, fitness now is 50% of the, of the sports, that women are the biggest uh, consumers of sports, etc. And so it's not just yoga, you, you know, but it's an expression of, or a symbol for, for, for a really big unknown. He was sitting there with that anxiety, and the others were really just laughing at him. <laughs> but as a company, if you can approach those sorts of uncertainties and say, actually, this is not something we have seen before. This is something that is new and that could you know, uh, either put our business in a business risk or open new opportunities. Let's go and explore it. In that situation, using spreadsheets is toxic because they're only going to tell you about the past. They're not going to tell you anything about the future. I love that. I mean, I absolutely love putting the human element in products and services and business because that's what I believe, you know, the world revolves around human connection and just us human beings as opposed to living in this technical realm. Although John is a technical person, so he might kind of disagree on some <laughs> fronts. But um, I had a question, and I think I know the answer, but I, I'd like to hear it from you is, you know, how does this then benefit society as opposed to just benefiting business from somebody who's hearing it and going, okay, that's great. You watch people and then you just figure out how to sell them stuff. What would your response to that be? Totally true. <laughs> but I'd say that um, may, there might be a bigger agenda as well. Uh, if you look at the way that most MBA programs, most econ programs, and uh, most marketeers, like if you are a marketer in, in any large corporation, and particularly if you're a consultant, the way you, you look at um, people is uh, rather problematic, we think. So people are in, um, if you look at the way market research is done, so the, where the numbers that you have in your spreadsheets come from, base has a couple of assumptions in them that are fundamentally wrong. So the first one would be uh, people have an ability to enter their minds and figure out what they want. You know, when they want a car, do I want this car, that car, do I want this, uh, you know, loaf of bread or would I rather pay more for the milk? And that is all a mental, transparent and aware process, which means that people can then report on what they see when they enter their own inner states and think about their dreams and wishes and desires. And hence, and because they can enter that they can, and report on that, they can do that with honesty and precision. Now, those three assumptions, so the first one that people can enter their inner states and figure out what they want and dream, two, 
that uh, they can report on it, and three, that they'll do that with honesty and precision, we think are all deeply, deeply problematic. Uh, it's very rare that anyone ever makes decisions that are completely uh, done by themselves and their own self. It's influenced by all sorts of other things. It's very rare that we make decisions that are above the threshold of awareness, that we have full information, full uh, transparency into our own inner states. And when we talk into, uh, when we sit and click on a, uh, you know, on a survey or something online, or we sit in a focus group, we constantly lie. We mm -hmm. constantly, and not just because we want to lie, it's just because we don't know. We never thought about it. And you know, if you ask people why did you get married, uh, if you ask big uh, CEOs why they bought uh, a company, uh, they can't um, tell you a full rational story. Uh, of course, they did it for all the wrong reasons, right? And if that's the case, then you can't ask people about that sort of thing, which is the baseline of all the numbers you have in your spreadsheet. So at the heart of this is basically a, an antagonism of two views of what it means to be a human being. And I think our view, which is much more chaotic, much less about a self making independent decisions, is a better one and informs better uh, decisions in, in corporations, but also makes things more meaningful and milder and uh, better for people rather than this uh, abstract story about what we are. So, so I think there's a, there's a philosophical debate here that we also try to try to do in the book. It's, it's hard to, to do philosophical debates in business books, but, <laughs> but we, we try um, to make it uh, readable and, and fairly easy to, to understand. So I think that, that was a long-winded story about that basically we're introducing a different view of what it means to be a human being. That is honestly perfect. And what I love is I just finished reading Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, and it sounds a lot like the kind of the Kahneman idea. Is that, am I putting words in your mouth? Or is that true that we kind of operate mo you know, most of the time at this level that's unaware to us? Yes. So th that is half true. Uh, so he, he says in the beginning of the book that, uh, and it's a good book, I think, uh, he says uh, that his star is the thinking fast type of, of problem solving, which is your intuition, basically. And, uh, but he says a lot of the time we make rational decisions that are dumb, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's true for your own life. If you want to make smarter decisions, you might want to think a little more, do some more research and so on. But it's a very poor description of how we are because we are almost all the time not aware of what we do. Once in a while, we sit down and think about, you know, do I want that portable heater or that, uh, you know, uh, propane tank or, and how much do you pay for it if you've never seen it before. But most of the time, you don't do that. So, so what we're saying as opposed to, you could say, behavioral economics, which is the big deal in economics these day, this days, is it's, it's get away from the idea that the, that the rational is the better it's because it's not going to happen anyway. I wanted to kind of go back to the story that you mentioned about the VP in that room. You talk about it in the book that said, I wonder if yoga is a sport. Because it also ties into, at the beginning of your book, you talk about the precarious state of many companies and, and the precarious state that they're in when they come to seek your advice. And I think it's a state that many people who aren't at that VP or CEO level are unaware of. Can you talk about what that is when they come to you and say, man, we have a problem? It can come from various uh, sources, uh, but, but usually 
and it doesn't have to be CEOs. I mean, it can be uh, also VPs, for example, or, or even managers at, 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 of a certain unit. But it's, 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 it's a sinking feeling that something is fundamentally wrong and that you're just not getting it. And you're seeing meeting after meetings, presentations and PowerPoint de- decks, and they're all fine and they're following the corporate lines and so on. But there's just something we're not getting wrong. So, for example, in that particular sports company, they talk about the consumer as the athlete. That's the name for the consumer. And um, and they say athletes are always 16 to 20 years old. So that's who we are making products for. And the feeling that he was having was, well, that may be true for some of us, but, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong in what business we are really in. And so that was an example of an, an anxiety from seeing from his colleagues presentation after presentation that looked fine on style, you could say, hmm. but really on content was missing something that he couldn't even put his word on it. And when he did, all he could say would be, you know, is yoga a sport? And they just <laughs> laughed at him. It's also a very male, testosterone-driven culture, that sports industry. But, you know, because he couldn't even f- frame the question right. So often what we find is, that kind of uncertainty, or it's, I would rather use the word unfamiliarity, that they're meeting something they haven't seen before. It can also come from companies that go into uh, geographies and markets where they haven't been before. For example, China, and it could be an American company, and they go in with the same mental model of how people are. Now, for example, if you are making, let's say, tea products in, in, in the U.S., you probably make a tea product that's based on sugar and is, uh, you know, dark and uh, cold. And you might think it's a fast-moving consumer good. But if you go to China and actually just dig a little bit into the culture of tea, you'll find that it's a 5,000-year-old tradition that, you know, is a little bit like um, wine in France, that there are certain things you just don't do. I mean, you don't drink champagne (laughs) to a funeral, right? Uh, You don't drink rosé in the winter. Uh, But it doesn't say on the label. There's no rational way of decoding that unless you understand the history, the culture, the habits. And that can, uh, in that situation, when a, a company goes into these unfamiliar territories uh, and they, they have a feeling often, again, that there's something we're not getting right, you know? Why are people not buying our products? And then I think there's a third situation which is very common, which is when you start hearing silver bullets, like uh, uh, that people in your team start coming up with the ideas they read in an airport bestseller, you know, we all need to co-create or big data is the thing or we should all do like Stephen Jobs. Or <laughs> you hear these, you know, and, 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 and you know, hey, have you actually thought about that? I mean, uh, we are in the food in- ingredients industry. I don't think we should be doing like Steve Jobs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so, so those are three typical situations that either that there's something happening with consumer culture or customer culture that has changed and you just didn't see it. That's one case. And the, uh, and, and the, uh, the other case is that you go into an unfamiliar culture or unfamiliar territory, and therefore you, your, your, your main mental model is, is tested, really, and may show to be wrong. Um, and the third one is that you're simply uh, out of ideas, and now you start copying others' ideas. And in those three situations, it, it, uh, as a CEO or a VP, it feels a little bit like fear, like... I'm not getting it. Like you, you can't sleep at night. You're thinking about what you to do, and you, of course, consult many types of people. And uh, we're just lucky to be part of those conversations. Man, every question I ask evokes like ten more. I'm trying to figure out which ones to go with. I actually found it really interesting. You mentioned Steve Jobs because 
another quote that had come to mind in your, you know, what you're doing, what you're describing is Steve Jobs said, people don't know what they want until you show it to them. And I wonder if that's something that is relevant in the majority of companies you consult with. People don't know that you can create these products that will fulfill a need. Yes, so they can't talk about it, right? I mean, it's very hard to imagine something from in an area that you don't care much about, but suddenly, suddenly it's there in front of you. And it's only when it's in front of you, you can, that you understand what it is. It's only in use that you understand what it is. And by asking you is, this, is probably the dumbest thing you can do. But nonetheless, we spend $50 billion a year on, on asking people what they want. And it's, uh, it's, to me, it's just, just, I'm just flabbergasted every time I see that, they, that companies test the hell out of their own ideas and, uh, and think that they can get it from people by asking them. You can't. You can look at them. You can figure out uh, what kind of unarticulated needs they have and how, what, would, what would make sense in their world. So I think Steve Jobs was an was a extraordinary, um, had an extraordinary intuition when it came to what would be meaningful to people and, uh, and just built it and showed people what it was uh, instead of, of using traditional tools like, like the tests that, that basically is, uh, is killing uh, project after project these days in most corporations. Sure. This begs the question, and I know it gets to the heart of what you do and it can't be summed up in a 10 or 20 or hour long interview, but how do you determine consumer behavior, how do you figure it out? I know you said you kind of get on the ground with them, but I was hoping you might be able to walk us through that process a little bit. We recently got an email from a listener that just said, I love the authors you have on. I always want to read their books. And then it's impossible to keep up with all the books I want to read. So instead, why not just use Audible? You can download the book to any device you can carry it wherever you go. There's over 150,000 titles. You can listen on your iPod, your iPhone, Kindle, Windows Phone, and you own the book. It's not a streaming thing. It's yours to keep. I was listening to Scaling Up Excellence by Bob Sutton the other day, and my mind was blown because of a feature that Audible has called Whisper Sync for Voice. I was able to go from listening in my car to reading on my Kindle at home. How Awesome is that. So it like syncs up directly. It syncs both of them together. You don't miss a word. It's pretty crazy. And the kicker is if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash smart people, you get a free audiobook of your choice. So you can listen to any of our authors, a free 30 day trial membership, and you help support the show. With Audible's great listen guarantee, you cannot go wrong. Here's how it works if you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title, anytime, and no questions asked. So as I mentioned, Audible's offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash smart people and get started. Sure. So we, um, we talk about this process as a process called sense-making because it's about making sense of the culture outside the company and how you do that. And it has five phases. I can go through them very quickly. Sure. The first phase is by far the most important, which is to frame the question the right way. And we have borrowed a lot of um, uh, stuff from uh, philosophy and social science where you use something called phenomenology. And that basically means studying things as they are. 
that means uh, when you have a question, often it's framed as a business problem. For example, it could be, how can we become a premium brand? Now, a premium brand is not a phenomenon that is in the world. It's something companies come up with. It's a, it's a construction, basically. So you have to figure out what is the human phenomenon behind that question. And let's say it's a coffee company. Then the question, instead of saying, how can we become a premium brand, becomes, um, what is quality coffee? Or how do people experience coffee? So the first phase is really changing the question from a hardcore business-oriented question to a human question, something that people can experience. And that's, it's very, very hard, and it's quite fun also. The second phase is to go into what we call field work, which would be to go out in the field and study people in their natural environments. And there's a long, a hundred-year-old tradition for that in the social sciences. We are not doing it much differently. It's based on what's called um, ethnography, where you go out and study people. It's like studying tribes, basically. So you do it without hypotheses, and you observe rather than ask. You also participate in activities. So, for example, with the example with the sports company, you would actually do a sport to figure out, out how is it experienced. And you try to get as much data as possible um, to, to, to put light on the problem. Then the third phase is um, a phase called pattern recognition or analysis, which is basically taking all the material you have, and that will be gigabytes of photos and field notes and videos and observation and uh, things you bring home from the field. Uh, you know, uh, and um, you basically put them into a database and code them, and then you start finding patterns and connections between the data and themes. So slowly, you know, themes start to evolve. For example, uh, we can see that um, consumers uh, have these and these needs, or this is a problem, or this is how it is, and you start being able to answer the question with much more clarity than you could before. Then you go into the fourth phase, which is basically coming up with um, uh, what to do about it, and uh, or the insight, you could also call it. And here, uh, we use a technique which is really about finding the uh, gaps or the asymmetries between the different things you saw. For example, a company may have a specific idea about what is a great product, and the consumer might have a very different idea of how they experience their life, for example. And there's a gap you can close with innovation. It can also be overmet needs, that we see that actually most, most of the time, that companies invent stuff that nobody needs. Nobody's using it. But it's actually what is needed is something else. And it can also be that um, a, a, a company is too early, timing-wise, that, that, that we are not ready for their products yet. So we're looking for these asymmetries. It could also be um, an, a whole industry that, that has a certain mental model about what, what people like and what they don't like. And then you actually find out through the data that there's a gap between that and what people really experience. And you close that by saying, here, here, here are areas of opportunity where you can actually go in and do something different through product development or through designing your shops differently through doing services and so on. And all that is collected into what we call a big idea, which is one thing that, kind, one thing that uh, unites the company around what is it we want to do. So uh, a good example is, um, for example, um, Lego that did a big project about kids and they found out that they had been over-innovating the market and they needed to get, get back to the basic brick. Again, that experience of just being immersed into play and, 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 and construction. They called that big idea back to the brick, to give you an example. And back to the brick could then be used for all sorts of purposes 
namely what products can we use to get back to the big, how should our shops look, what should the, be the price points, etc. And then the last phase is um, really about um, anchoring the, uh, the whole uh, sense-making process in the company and making sure that everybody is um, motivated around it and can see the uh, recommendations and the actions very clearly and you are ready to act on it. Thank you so much. That was really helpful to be broken down and, and I can understand how that can you know, be a, a great way to determine human behavior and then ways to improve it. So, and I want to tell all our listeners, much of this is covered in a fantastic manner in your book, Moment of Clarity, Using the Human Sciences to Solve Your Toughest Business Problems. I really just want to say congrats on that. It is, we read a lot of books here and it's just extremely well written. It's technical, yet something you can understand and really opens your mind. So <laughs> great job on that. And one of the things I wanted to ask you when I was doing research about you guys and your business and reading the book, I just kept wondering, can these guys predict consumer trends? You know, do you think you have a little bit of insight into the future on what's next? No, nobody does um, have that sort of insight into the future. And if somebody tells you that they do, they're probably lying. <laughs> uh, but what you can do is that you could look at what well, we, we basically have a piece of a type of analysis that we call marginal practices. So basically we look at what we call average everyday practices. So the everyday way that people buy cars or deal with um, uh, TVs, something like that. So the, the normal way people do something. And then we look at people that experiment with that. So people who watch TVs in other ways. They use, they might not, eat, they might not have uh, the same kind, kind of, of services. Uh, they might just buy things in different ways. They might experiment with different types of technologies and so on. And there, there'll probably be a range of different types of ways that people are experimenting with the practices, say, around watching TV. So if you go to a dorm room in a university these days, not many people have a TV at all, right? And, and might not ever have one. Uh, where uh, people uh, that are 45 years old and live in, a, in suburbia have much more normal ways to, or much more traditional ways to watch TV. So what you can do when you look at the difference between that, you can see which ones of these new marginal practices would fit well into the norm. And then you can start betting on what would the future practices look like. And then you could say, if that is our bet that these are the future practices, then these types of products and services would be relevant. I love that. I really do. Because I was, you know, I was thinking that, man, there's no way to predict it. But if these guys tell me they have a way, I'm actually going to believe them. So. <laughs> oh, please don't. <laughs> Another line in the book that jumped out to me, you said futurists and prognosticators have been asserting for decades that the current era is one of unprecedented change. And it's hard for, you know, even John and I, fairly young, to remember the last time people said, oh, this, there's going to be a lot of change going forward. You know, for us, it's been a lot based on technology. The internet came out, there's been a lot of change, and there has been. So what I'm wondering is, are you saying that there's always change, so be it the 40s, the 60s, the 80s, and even now? Or is it possible that with the technological things that we have going on right now, Things are changing faster and more quickly, and it's becoming more difficult. So my, my grandmother, uh, when I come, come and meet her, she's fairly old. 
and uh, and she would say, you know, when I come and show her my new phone, she says, oh, you have a new phone, how cool. But, you know, in my time, we invented modern agriculture, modern flight, uh, uh, you know, penicillin, uh, most uh, medicine that saves most people today. We invented, uh, uh, you know, uh, investment banking as it is, we modern consulting, the c- corporation. And what do you have? iPhone 5? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's uh, so, so, you know, electricity, that sort of thing. And um, I, I think she's, she's, uh, she's onto something, right, that that the growth boom of the 60s and 70s in particular took people from one plateau to a different plateau. Now, I live very much like my mom does and, uh, I'm, I, and, and, and have some of the same things, but she moved you know, a big jump uh, before that in terms of economic uh, prosperity and access to resources and so on. So I'm not so sure that we, I mean, it feels as if we're in the middle of, of a lot of change, but you know, this big data, uh, you know, things and all the, the things people talk about, you know, let's see whether it's going to be as big as flight and investment banking and that sort of thing. So uh, it's just a general skepticism towards uh, people that say that change is the only constant and all that. Well, there's a lot of things that doesn't change. And if, you just, if you're just blinded by change then and, and think that every new uh, you know, uh, feature update uh, that Apple sends out is just a revolution. Uh, you know, you might you might need to reconsider uh, your <laughs> your parameters. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I was actually looking around on your guys' website, RedAssociates.com, and I was just looking at some of the like the career section on there. And one of the things that you put in the job description for for working there is you will be intellectually curious. Can you guys talk about the benefit of intellectual curiosity and what you look for in, in that sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, most people we hire uh, don't have a business background when, they, when uh, they start because we're trying to recruit the very, very best of the people from the human sciences because we know that they have been battered with what's called critical thinking right, in, 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 in university. Mm-hmm. And what they bring is an ability to look at things with a critical distance, but also looking at it with a real, uh, you know, uh, toolbox of observing people and so on. And that ability to think about something uh, um, intellectually is really valuable in a in 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 a business context because there are so many people who don't do it. Right. And 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 uh, and. Uh, um, so, for example, uh, when we want to analyze all the data I told you about, you just, it's not just a matter of sitting and saying, okay, how many people did this and how many people did that? You have to reflect about what does it mean that people, so many people do yoga? Why do they do that? And to do that, the data will not, it's not like a spreadsheet where you can say, so what's the sum, right? It's, that's not how it works. You have to go through a, a, a thinking process. And people from the humanities and social sciences, we, fi- we find are just really well-equipped because they've read a lot of books. The problem with them is that they are notoriously difficult to understand. <laughs> They're far away from the world. Uh, some of them are Marxists, you know. <laughs> so that's also a problem <laughs> if you want to do business. So we spent two years uh, with our people to train them in business thinking, which is about, you know, how do you organize, how do you build business cases and, and things like that. And then you get a really nice combination of somebody who has a hardcore intellectual thinking, uh, you know, style with um, some tools to, to uh, 
uh, unlock business problems and think like a business does. And I think that is very valuable. I also, you can also see if you say who, who are CEOs these days, that there more and more CEOs are pretty well educated, you know, and right. are pretty good thinkers. Right. Uh, and I think that also des uh, describes why this is important. You know, it's it's interesting because I came across an article recently where they were talking about, I guess, the MFA being the new MBA because CEOs and presidents, vice presidents, they're looking to bring on talent that are creative thinkers. And we've kind of lost that with putting everybody, especially in the U.S. I mean, everybody goes to get their undergraduate. And then the big thing was go get your MBA after that. And, yeah. you know, it's we've created these people that do everything by the book. And I guess now it's it's starting to affect the creativity within the workplace. Did you I mean, did you guys notice the same thing? Yeah, I think I think we need to say here that not thinking about the bigger questions can be very helpful if the company is doing fine, right? I mean, you don't want people to sit, you know, thinking <laughs> no. deeply about it. You just want them to execute. And um, so if your problem scale that Mikkel talked about before, where you have different problem scales, if you are not at the, in the big unknowns and if you're not entering new geographies and if your consumers aren't just completely switching around their behavior and starting to scrutinizing you in different ways, then, then you know, executing on what has been thought already is a good idea. Uh, now, if you are and, uh, and people complain that they are more and more in, in uncertain uh, situations, then uh, MFA type people that have solid skepticism about easy answers, uh, that uh, want to get around, that have tools to think through uh, cultural aspects of something that say the food industry is changing these days because people are scrutinizing their food much more because it kills them. You know, uh, right. what, what is that like? Uh, what, and and how, and how can we how can we get a handle on how the food system is changing and and what we need to do about it? There, you don't need executors; you need thinkers. And so it's a good mix of the two. It's it's you, you need both. You need people that can that can uh, uh, reassess assumptions and uh, uh, think deeply about things. But you also need people that, when that is done, can go out and do it in many countries uh, with mil you know with military precision. Right. So, so um, I, guess, I guess it's both. So there's nothing wrong in having an MBA, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just you need a you need a mix. And in America, in particular, the critical thinking MFA type uh, thinking has been um, uh, not wiped out completely, but uh, it's it's not doing so well out right. there. Um, and I think that's why we uh, have a niche is that uh, they're, they're looking for that sort of thing. That's really cool. And I know we're approaching time here, and I wanted to thank you guys both for being on the show and giving our listeners all this great knowledge. The book, The Moment of Clarity, Using the Human Sciences to Solve Your Hardest Business Problems is fantastic. Is there anywhere else that you want to point our listeners to? I know your guys' website, redassociates.com, but is there, is there anywhere else that our listeners can go find out more about you, where you write, and all that type of stuff? Uh, the, the website is, is pretty comprehensive on us, I think. But if you want to uh, see some of the environments where people are, it's not only us doing this mm -hmm. uh, in the world, uh, th there's a big conference called Ethnographic Practice in Industry Confer Conference. So that's EPIC, 
conference. And um, that's, a, that's a yearly conference where people or like-minded people with the kind of things we're talking about here meet and discuss and so on. So that, that's probably a good resource too uh, for the last, I think, seven, eight years of, of, uh, of work in that area. Okay, perfect. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, I really do thanks appreciate you. it. That was an interesting conversation. We appreciate it. Thank you again. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for sticking around, and thank you so much for downloading Smart People Podcast. We love that you guys are downloading this show at the rate that you are. If you can tell a friend, that would be the next best thing that you can do. It's the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend out there, hey, you need to check out this interview with so-and-so on Smart People Podcast and give them our link, tell them to follow us on Facebook, all that good stuff. It'll help us grow and keep bringing awesome interviews. Yeah, we've been hearing from a lot of you guys. We really appreciate it. Uh, We've been talking about actually doing a live event. So we're in Arlington, Virginia. It'd be around here. Shoot us an email if you're around or think that's a good idea. I guess we're going to get going. Also, check out my new site, chrisstemp.com. If you like that, let me know. And hopefully we can just keep uh, keep on providing value. And be on the lookout for another podcast coming from chrisstemp.com. Boom. Boom.